Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the bus on your Thursday Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Lamarines, it's Nathan Baird, it's Stephen Means, and we've been hyping this thing up. Better be good. We've been talking about it for a couple days. I even sent a tweet of like a bus on fire, flames shooting out of the bus's exhaust pipe. I don't know. We're driving the bus for Ohio State players today. Nathan will drive a bus, Stephen will drive a bus, I'll drive a bus, and more importantly, our texters will drive a bunch of buses. And the idea of this is who are, who are the play, who's the player? Because I made the texters vote, and then they also sent in comments. Who's the player that you believe in maybe more than the average Ohio State fan would believe in? Nathan, that was sort of how I tried to explain it. I don't know how many years we've done this now. Maybe this is only two. Maybe it's three or four. I can't remember. But it's kind of that idea that if you're driving the bus for a guy, you not only have to like him, but you kind of have to like him more than a typical Ohio State fan would like him. Maybe it's a backup that you think is going to have a huge impact. Maybe it's a young guy that you think is going to pop. Maybe it's a veteran who hasn't really gotten a chance who you think is ready to explode. Or maybe it's like a really good player that you think is going to be one of the best players in college football. Um, how, how do you think about what driving the bus means, Nathan? Because there's no better way to start a podcast than talking about a semantic interpretation of the title <laughs> of the podcast. Well, I, I think it's it's just predicting some of the things that I guess we have eventually seen. You know, it, it, it's last year there might have been uh, fans who were driving the bus for Steel Chambers already and thought. Um, unlike we did or thought opposite of how we did that maybe this whole linebacker flirtation wasn't going to be a big impact. And that's exactly what it turned out to be. Or maybe there were people who would have driven the bus for Luke Whipler. And, um, you know, when we had some concerns about the way that offensive line, the center situation might turn out if Harry Miller couldn't play and turned out they were all right for the most part last year, because he stepped up at a very young age, just things like that. It's, it's sort of trying to you know predict, uh, that thing so that you can someday look back and say, hey, I told you so. I, w- I was right about that guy all along. Yeah, no, it's a good told you so pod. It is a good told you so pod. Steven, when I when I said I sent a list of 34 different play, 34 different players to the texters and said, you've got to vote for one. And again, then we certainly welcome comments. We had never done that before. Otherwise, we had just said like, hey, write your guy in and we'll go through them all. But I did 34, and then I also had uh, another category, and I think there were at least another six people that got write-ins. But there were five players, Stephen, that I I didn't put on the ballot. And I said, if you really, really, really want to vote for them, go ahead and write them in or explain why. But it was C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Travion Henderson, Denzel Burke, and Ronnie Hickman. Because they're good players, 
And I don't know that the discussion, I don't know exactly how easy it would be to drive the bus for those guys. If you think Denzel Burke is going to be the best Ohio state cornerback that we've ever seen, then write him in for sure. But it's not exactly to me what the bus means. Was I correct to do that? Or do you think it's just as easy to drive the bus for Stroud or Smith and Jigba or Ronnie Hickman? I think you can drive the bus for anybody as long as the thing you're driving the bus for is them doing something that is completely above all expectation for this season. So to use Stroud as an example, it's like he's not going to just win the Heisman. He's going to have a better season than what Joe Burrow had in 2019. That would be what driving the bus looks like for him. While with a guy like, I don't know, CJ Hicks, it's like CJ Hicks is going to make an all big 10 team. Because, you know, he's just a true freshman. And even if he's a five-star, he hasn't done anything yet. So I think driving the bus just needs to be relative to what who you're talking about. And then it can be okay. But you can't the, – driving the bus for C.J. Stroud can't be viewed the same way as driving the bus for, you know, Julian Fleming. Hickman's the one that maybe doesn't quite belong in the same category as those other guys. Just because I feel like there's some level of national attention on all those other four guys – and he, I know he led Ohio State in tackles last year, but that can almost be the way you drive the bus is say like, hey, all of you who are dismissing this and saying uh, he it was just sort of an accumulation thing and that a safety really shouldn't lead a team in tackles if it's a good defense, um, That, but you're wrong. Here's why he's actually really important and is going to be even better this year. That sort of thing. He's the easiest one that you could drive a bus for out of that group. So again, I said, hey, if you, if you want to write him in, right, go ahead, but make your case. Nobody did it for Stroud. Nobody did it for Smith and Jigba. Nobody did it for Burke. Nobody did it for Hickman. A couple people did it for Travion Henderson. But again, that's that's just because it's one of those things too. I, I know what you're saying about Ronnie Hickman. I also don't know that I've had anyone have a conversation of like, I think Ronnie Hickman is going to be like the best defensive player in the country, right? Like I, so um, right. I, we really want to do it with the guys that there's a little more uncertainty about. That's just kind of a little more fun to do. And so again, we got more than a hundred comments. We got, more than let me double check what the numbers at right now almost 600 votes from the texters where again you had to pick one person so we're gonna kind of talk about the top 10 the most but we're gonna use all those to lead us through and i will just say when we get to your guy guys talk about your guy so if it's like okay here we are it's time to talk about steve johnson if you're like yep that's my guy then that's when we'll have our conversation about that Let's start with some of the people who maybe didn't get um, a ton of support. And I will tell you, of the 34 people that I put out, everybody got at least one vote except Mitch Rossi, which is, that's not a, but Mitch Rossi was a stretch, but I was like, I don't know. Some people get obsessed with fullbacks and walk-ons and good stories like that. I put them on there just in case. The guys I didn't put on, I, I should have put Cam Babb on and I didn't. Um, he got some write-in votes. He got the most write-in votes. And actually, let's start with Cam Bab. He got he got six write-in votes, which is pretty good for people who have to like make the case for you. From the six one four, I don't know how the answer could be anything other than Cam Bab. I understand what that what that texter is saying, Stephen. But that's to me, if you're saying it like that, that's an emotional case. Like that's a, this guy is grinded. This guy has tremendous ability. This guy is one of the best leaders on the team. This guy has something special inside of him. But 
we're kind of talking about football on the bus. It's not an emotional bus. It's mostly a football bus because he's going to be a great leader, a great person, uh, a great motivator, whether he plays or not. Like that's true. It, if he plays and really contributes, it'll be a great story. But what would it take to really be able to drive the bus and, and be successful, Stephen? Like, like, do you think that's really out there for Cam Babb with the way this receiver room breaks down? I think the only way you drive a bus for him, just because it's, I mean, it's been through the ringer, is if you want to say Cam Babb's going to have a game in a meaningful way, not like Arkansas State, but like against Wisconsin or Notre Dame or even the Michigan game, Cam Babb has 150 receiving yards and two touchdowns, which would first of all be like the greatest story ever. This dude falls through all that, and then he does that in the Michigan game. But that's like the only way you drive a bus for him because other than that it's like i mean yeah if you're just going to mark down the fact that he's probably going to be a black oh yeah he makes the most sense the only thing that doesn't correlate with the other two guys have gotten it is he's not from ohio but if we're talking strictly football it's like put some numbers on it almost and i know the texters can't always do that when you're just you know voting in a poll but we can't on this pod if we're going to do stuff for people like that i see what you're saying doug about it being an emotional case but his is like the he, he checks like every emotional box it's like not yeah. just perseverance, but like extreme perseverance, like every just keeps blowing ACLs out left and right and keeps coming back for more. And not just like leadership qualities, but like, like nth degree leadership qualities already showing even despite those things and being named a captain last year and all those things. So uh, I, I understand what you're coming from on that. I, I guess that's why I would allow it here a little bit is because he's not just an emotional appeal it's like the emotional appeal he's almost the emotional standard the receiver room is really interesting and i did ask a separate receiver poll question very quickly as i was going through with all this stuff because if you're driving the bus for somebody you're not driving the bus for somebody else and if they play the same position there's only one seat it you, you can't have we can't have everybody on the bus there's just it's not realistic there's not enough footballs to go around there's not enough yards and tackles and opportunity to go around. So I did ask a specific question about that. Nobody in writing in Cam Bab, nobody said, hey, I think he's going to force them to like split time with Marvin Harrison and he's going to play 30 snaps a game and he's going to have 40 catches. You know, nobody said that. So that's, I mean, if you think that's going to happen, man, that's a, that is quite a bus. But that's kind of not where that went. Another guy who got a minor amount of support from the 4-4-0, driving the bus for Matt Jones this year. The dude has been the best interior lineman for two years now, and he's going to show why he should have started last year. Happy to see actual guards playing guard, going to see big improvement in the run game. There's a pretty good football case for this, Nathan. Again, a PFF darling. Their sixth offensive lineman last year has never been a full-time starter, but has started. Fifth-year guy in the program, has a job locked down. It's going to be hard for him to be like an All-American because a guard who's never started as a fifth-year senior is going to hard, be, have a hard time breaking through. But he could be a guy that, you know, Joel Klatt and Kirk Herbstreit are talking about all year being like, watch Matt Jones destroy a guy on this block. And Matt Jones, by the end of the year, is a first-team All-Big Ten offensive lineman. Like, to me, if you're driving the bus for him, that's the kind of thing you're talking about. And I do think that's out there. Yeah, definitely. I think of him in the same way that we might have thought of uh, you go back to 
going into the 2020 season, if people were driving the bus for someone like, I mean, it's the other side of the ball, but like Tommy Togiai and be like, well, you know, I know that he wasn't like the star of that 2019 defensive tackle rotation, but look what he actually did with those snaps. And now what happens if you give him a full-time job? And we saw what happened when you gave him a full-time job. And there's probably an example on the offensive line that I'm not necessarily thinking of right now. Maybe it would have been like, somebody driving the bus for Brandon Bowen going into 2019 and being like, don't forget he won a starting job before the injuries happened. Look, you know, he's coming back and that sort of thing. So uh, it's, it, there's evidence here that he can do the job at a high level when given the chance. Now it's just a matter of sustaining it in the, um, with a, with a full complement of, of snaps, but also with, you know, the full focus now of opposing defenses too. I stoked is a guy that I did not put on the list of the 34 guys that I listed. We feel like they're pretty deep at safety, but he is a true freshman that I do think has opened some eyes from the nine Oh four. I know he's a freshman, but Kai Stokes has got to be on there. He's going to play a role, not a big one, but an important one, I believe with depth. Um, can you see a version of a breakthrough for Kai Stokes, Steven? Not unless somebody gets hurt, knocks on wood, because they have had safeties get hurt over the past couple of years here. No, I think he is. I mean, he's going to have a role in special teams. I think he is in the same spot Marvin Harrison was a year ago. Spring football superstar, lost his black stripe early, and it's everybody's excited. And he realized, oh, wait, yeah, there's a lot of people still in front of him. So come talk to me next year at this time. It might be a good analogy. Yeah, It could be very popular a year from now. Yeah. He could be very popular depending – you know, if Hickman and Proctor are gone and depending where things fit with Court Williams and Lathan Ransom and McAllister's gone and you start moving guys around, then it's like, oh, no, it looks like Kai Stokes in year two. It's going to be a first year starter. We got a little taste what that could look like. I think I think that's potentially very compelling for 2023. This guy was not a, another guy who was not in my 34, Nathan, from the 419. I voted. I don't think I had him in there. Did I have him in there? So this person, you didn't. he voted a write-in vote. I voted for Enoch Vamahi who I believe will end up playing a pivotal role this year. I do not believe the O-line will get through the year completely healthy without ever missing a snap. I think if it's an interior guy, he will be a solid fill-in. This guy also wants uh, to cast a vote for Trey LaRue because he's from the hometown of the 419. If you ever get a chance, I hope the kid shines. Next time you see him, ask him what toppings he gets in his pizza post pit pie. I don't know what that means. I feel like I should eat it. I feel like I should ask it, but Vamaki... If we think Josh Fryer maybe or Zed Machowski maybe is up at tackle, is it reasonable to think that Enoch Vamaki might be the first guy up if something happens, that there's an alien abduction on the interior of the offensive line, Nathan, and that he would be ready if called upon? I think so. And there may even be a world where he is a little bit like a, I hate using this phrase, but it's the only one coming to my mind right now. Like a poor man's Matt Jones was last Mm -hmm. year. Like he was a, relatively highly ranked recruit. He's a guy who has put in a lot of time. He's a guy who has been very apparently unselfish in the way that he has bounced around as they've needed him. He worked out some at tackle last year because he didn't have a lot of depth there. He was playing defensive tackle, warming up or doing some snaps there uh, in 2020 going into the play the national championship game and stuff, because that was where COVID was really hitting this team hard was on the D line. And they just needed somebody who could, plausibly go in there and get snaps um he's a guy that i really like i almost thought about driving the bus for him and just because i feel like he is one of those guys we've talked about him so many times that you're a pretty good recruit 
but you don't like start immediately or ever, I guess in this case. And then you, it, it's very much out of sight, out of mind really quick. And he's in one of the, he's, it's one of those guys where you're in a weird spot too, if you're Ohio State, because it's like, well, you hope he doesn't have to be a big part of the starting offense. But actually, if he did, I think this person's right. I think he could probably hold his own. Feels very Max Ray-ish. Both of those guys were around 120 in their recruiting rankings, and it was like a big deal when they got Enoch. Ryan Day got on a private jet to go to Hawaii to pull that guy in late in that 2019 recruiting class. And so it, it feels like we know six, seven, and 8 for the offensive line at this point. And of six, seven, and 8, he's the only interior guy. So... I think poor man's Matt Jones is the best example because I don't think they're going to purposely do that like they did last year. But if Donovan or Matthew Jones gets hurt or Matthew Jones has to kick over to center because something happens to Luke Whipler, then sure, I can see Enoch having some quality snaps there. But I'm not – I wouldn't have – that's not my pick. So, But I understand. But, like Max Ray never had it happen here. Right. right. Never got on a bus. His, here, right? his, his best – his – Shining moment was the entire offensive line has COVID, so now he's a starting tackle against Michigan yeah. State. Let's run through a couple of the one percenters. These are guys who got zero or one percent of the vote, but at least got a vote. Let's see. Mike Hall, defensive tackle Mike Hall, linebacker Cody Simon, Matt he, Jones. He, I was I was I'm 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 driving the bus for Mike Hall. Wow. Okay. Let me finish this one percenter conversation and then we will double back. Okay. The one percenters. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm not wowing because I think it's bad. I th- I'm wowing because I think it's really good. And I'm actually surprised he didn't get more votes here. Uh, the one percenters, Mike Hall, Cody Simon, Matt Jones, Lathan Ransom, Noah Ruggles, Luke Whippler, Teron Vincent, Ty Hamilton, CJ Hicks, who will double back on Evan Pryor, who will double back on Joe Royer, Cade Stover, who will double back on Cam Brown, Jordan Hancock, Chip Trainum who will double back on Donovan Jackson, Tanner McAllister, and Dewan Jones, who will double back on. So that's a lot of guys who got 1%. Mike Hall got one vote, Nathan. Was it from you? It wasn't, no. Okay. <laughs> so I guess I, he has two votes now. I thought about him too. Why is he your guy? This is big. This is big for mm-hmm. Mike Hall, who did not get a lot of love for the Texers, but is going to get one of the host votes for Mike Hall. Jerry Emig and Mike Basper are going to put this in his bio on the site. He's Nathan Baird's <laughs> drive. He's on Nathan Baird's bus. Second year player, top 50th national recruit, Cleveland kid, defensive tackle, good athlete, riser in the recruiting process. Go, Nathan. What's up? So this is, is a little bit I, – I, I, I was going out a little bit on a limb here because we have not uh, talked to Larry Johnson or the defensive line yet. We've only seen a couple practices. And windows of practice, but I'm going to make some comparisons here that I th- think, man, and also based on just some things that we have heard, the way he's been showing up, that could be good. Um, I was looking at the four, so he was the fourth, the number four defensive tackle in his class last year. He was a summer enrollee, so he wasn't really going to have an impact. I think if you look at what JT Tuomaloa was able to come in and do. And how impressed we were with that, which was warranted. But JT Tuimaloao, I really think we're going to look back someday and be like, that was just a different kind of athlete. I don't know if it'll ever get Chase Youngish, but you know what I'm saying there. Like he has an all-around athletic profile that would help him make that transition. I think quicker than someone like Mike Hall could coming in in the summer. I was looking at though the four guys 
who were ahead of him, three guys that were ranked ahead of him. It was a guy named Mason Smith who went to LSU. He was a freshman All-American last year. Shamar Turner from Texas A&M, a freshman All-ACC team. And then Damon Payne, the Michigan kid, who went to Alabama, who had the red shirt because he was only like the number 24 player in the country. And you can't play at Alabama as a freshman if you're the number 24 player in the country, I guess. Uh, (laughs) Mike Hall played 35 snaps last year over four games. Limited impact, right? But when we talked to him in the spring, he said something that I then could apply to something we heard this week. This is where maybe I'm making a stretch, but like the other side of the ball, Justin Fry was talking about Steven. You asked him like, why are you starting the tackles outside or starting all the freshmen outside and moving them inside? And he was talking about the adjustment that you have to make to the speed of the game first before you make the adjustment to the physicality of the game. And Mike Hall talked about when he first got here last fall, he was really slotted in more as a three tech, which I think of as it's not quite the same as moving obviously from tackle to guard, but Moving from tackle to nose, where he was working this past spring, moving from three tech to nose, I feel like is sort of that same adjustment. You've got to get your feet wet first to the speed of college football, and then we'll worry about maximizing you from a physical standpoint. Ohio State needs what my call could be at nose badly. It, it was something that was missing these last couple of years. Um, they've had it very recently. I mean, Davon Hamilton was a great player in the middle of this defense. Um Demanded double teams that made the whole defense defensive front better. Tommy Togiai demanded double teams that made the whole defensive front better. So some of this is what we know about Hall to be true. I mean, he almost falls into that like out of sight, out of mind thing we were talking about before because he was practically a top 50 national recruit. But because he comes in in the summer, you kind of he slips down a little bit, I think, in people's minds. And you start looking at the guys who were here in the spring and could make a bigger impact. It's 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 both what we know about to be true about him as an athlete, as a as a future defensive tackle, but also how badly Ohio State sort of needs a star at that position. And he might be as equipped as anybody on this defensive line to do that. I, it's not a stretch. I'm not predicting this, but it's not a stretch that we get to November, December. And Mike Hall is considered the best defensive lineman on this team, defensive tackle on this team. He. I'm a little disappointed he didn't get more votes. He got strong consideration from me um, because what you just explained was the exact plan they had him on when they recruited him was that there was going to need to be, he's the only guy who can be that type of nose you're talking about, who was just physically imposing on the interior of a defensive line. And they knew that, which is why all last year was just about get big, get big, get big, get big, get big. He was already a big kid when he was in high school, but the, the physical transformation he's gone through since he got here is a bit interesting, which is why you, it's not, you can't even use the JT comparison because it's not the same position and what they're asking right. him to do is not the exact same. So there was always going to be Mike Hall, your red shirt in your first year. Let's go through this physical transformation and then get to year two and let's see what happens here. But yeah, real strong consideration for me because he looks ready to do that in a way that quite frankly, whoever else gets some reps at knows whether it's, you know, uh, Jerron Cage or Ty Hamilton, their ceiling just isn't as high as what his is. I was talking with the linebackers a couple weeks ago about this. And again, this could be one of your linguistic things, Doug, the difference between an answer and a solution and how last year's linebackers seemed like answers, but not solutions. Some of the defensive tackles that they have in that nose guard role seem like answers, not solutions, but he seems like he could really be a multi-year solution at nose guard. 
And tackles who can tie stuff up and free linebackers to make plays are worth their weight in gold. I mean, I can remember this was a huge conversation 15 years ago when Quinn Pitcock had like a really good year and it really helped James Laurinaitis, right? Because sometimes if there's nobody in the middle who's tying up double teams and those interior offensive linemen get to the second level and get get a body of linebackers like, hey, you didn't make the tackle. You got blocked. It's like, well, yeah, because the guy was unimpeded to me because nobody was clogging stuff up. I will say one of the reasons I like the Mike Hall pick, it was when my career was flashing before my eyes the other day mm-hmm. when six Ohio State linemen sat down and had an impromptu interview with Josh Fryer. The six guys who did it were Donovan Jackson, who was the only offensive guy. Tyler Friday, old. Javante Jean-Baptiste, old. Zach Harrison, old. JT2 Maloa, possible All-American, and Mike Hall. And it was like dudes hanging out, right? This wasn't backup. This was this was veterans and starters. And Mike Hall was right in there. So Mike Hall, That's I think Mike sign. Hall is carrying himself like a dude. Now, maybe everybody, maybe all the guys would have been there and they just were in the shower. I don't know. But no, because they Hall did that in the spring, there too. like a dude. He yeah, they did there like him and Talik Williams did that to Jack Sawyer in, in the spring, too. So it's and those was, are two. That's another guy that we think might be a dude. But it's also I do think a, I think Tyleek Williams has sucked up a lot of the air in the room, which is why Mike Hall got one vote, yeah. because I'll tell you, Tyleek Williams got more than one vote. And it's also one of these things where this is dangerous. We have not talked about Mike Hall a ton. So I think there are people listening to this being like, well, I would have voted for him if I knew you guys thought this, that they're <laughs> for good or for bad. We yeah. are a, at least the partial information source on Ohio State football for the people who are voting here. And we have not ha- had long, in-depth Mike Hall conversations, but the idea that he's the most gifted knows they're going to rotate there, but he has the highest ceiling. Last year was about him getting physically ready to do this, and now he seems ready to do it, and they really need someone who can do it. Wow, what a great pick, Nathan Baird. Way to keep it to yourself for the last three months. Here's another way I was. I've been sandbagging this whole time just to drive the bus for the guy. Um, Another way to look at it, maybe. We've talked before about recruiting misses. I really hate that term. You know, Recruiting decisions that didn't go Ohio State's way, showing up on the field at defensive back. And how Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson were supposed to be kind of the fix to that this year. You could probably argue that that happened a little bit. It knows like um, just pick him one guy, but Marvin Wilson, who was down to Ohio state and Florida state before he picked Florida state a couple he years was, ago, like that was, he was supposed to be like the last ad to that 17 yeah. class. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Number one class in the country. Right. And who like could Ohio state have used him last year? Maybe like one of the oh, best yeah. defensive tackles in the country. So I'm just saying that like this in the same way that Hancock and Johnson from last year's signing class are kind of supposed to be fixing cornerback. I think, this is the correction at nose that they've been looking for. That's an interesting one because I feel like, um, I don't know what Florida state was running in 2017 when they got Marvin Wilson. I just remember watching an interview with Jeff Okuda and they were asking him if he was coming, but it's four down fronts, usually going up against, you know, three down fronts, where it's only one defensive tackle in there. And that's often what Larry Johnson is going against when he's recruiting the list, especially those guys from the Texas and the sec area. So I wonder how much that plays a role when they're trying to get that specific type of defensive tackle if you know, the next Jordan Davis, who's going to be a five-star because of what Jordan Davis just did. Does he want to go play 
at Georgia because they're going to, he's going to be the only nose on the field versus playing in a four down front at Ohio state. If it comes down to Larry Johnson versus sec. Uh, Tommy Togiai was like that. Tommy Togiai is a top 100 national recruit who didn't yeah. explode in year one at Ohio state. But then when it was time to get on the field, he exploded pretty well. So like if my call yeah. is on some kind of Tommy Togiai path that could start this year. I was looking at the number. So Davon Hamilton as a redshirt freshman only played in nine games, according to the sports referencing I was looking at, but 10 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss. Like very like rotational, whatever. But Togia in his second year, also nine games, but 16 tackles. That's pretty good for defensive tackle in that short of that number of snaps, um, a couple tackles for loss. So I don't know if Hall completely explodes all the way up to being like, it's certainly to even maybe start the year. But it's just I'm trying to project what this defense looks like in November, December, and who has to be on the field at crucial times. And it would seems very much within the realm of possibility that he is one of those guys. But if we're on alert, we have talked about this a little bit since camp started. If we're on alert for the young defensive linemen, the four guys we're on alert for are JT, Jack Sawyer, Tyleek Williams, and Mike Hall. He's the fourth member of that group. Because the other three guys played more last year, but otherwise there's no reason he's, he's like, what was number 52 recruit in the country? Again, like this is, there's no reason he's not like an outlier in that group, right? Like he fits right in. And if they, if they, at any point, if you talk about that group, you know, he's not a Ringo. Although, I mean, have you ever seen the thing? Everyone thinks like, oh, I don't want to be the Ringo. You guys ever seen the thing on the YouTube channel? where the guy explains why Ringo Starr was a genius as a drummer that like most drummers would have played this part like this, but Ringo played it like this. And so I know it's like John and Paul and George get all the love, but like Ringo was actually really good. So maybe he is a Ringo, except Ringo was really good. Go Google the thing, go Google the YouTube. Why Ringo Starr, maybe it was on TikTok. I don't know where I said Can I just, do I have to Google the YouTube or can I just go to YouTube and search for it? You got to Google the YouTube, Google the YouTube chat text string reddit discord and you will find but go look up the thing that's my call Cade stover got a couple votes he's a one percenter a couple people like believing in Cade stover from the 304 i voted for Cade stover dude is just a worker linebacker tight end doesn't matter the position works his tail off to get on the field anyway ken gotta respect it someone who works hard like that i'll drive the bus for any day with that work ethic and another Cade Stover sentiment along those lines from the 614. Cade Stover represents the quintessential Ohio State player, maybe even the players of older days. Ohio farm boy, understands the importance of Ohio football, understands the rivalry and taking that back over. Rare two-way player who does what his team needs. Tough, strong kid who can be a leader. Huge fan of this upperclassman. Steven, I can understand fans like this was a guy who kind of in his heart wants to be a linebacker, but whether it's his brain that is telling him, man, that like I'm just going to get on the field at tight end. Maybe I'll make money in the NFL at tight end. Or it's his like his duty, his feeling of responsibility. This is how I can help the team. He's kind of doing like Paris Johnson last year. Guys do this. He's doing the thing he doesn't necessarily want to do, but it's going to help Ohio State. I can understand people get on the bus for that. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but they needed the tight end. And he's like, I'll be your tight end. Kate Stover wants to hit people. I don't think he cares what side of the ball he's doing it on. He, he's a, he just wants to hit people. He is the most stereotypical 1985 from a small town 
movie linebacker I have ever met in my life. I, when I went to his school when he was still in high school, um, he barely fit in the building. That's how small their school. He just wants to hit people. So if you're going to drive the bus for now that he's the tight end, he's just going to be smacking people around as the blocker. I can sign up for that. And the, it's going to be thing, like though, the, the thing that is the problem here is it, it definitely would not be a bus. You would be driving the pickup. Yeah. To he his would be driving the pickup and you would it, be in the back. It would yes. be a pickup with a horse trailer on the back of it. Yeah. yeah. Driving the horse trailer for case. And his father actually run a farm and I think they have a YouTube channel. That, and they, that like, is not like farm. that is not like. Like Kate Stover, this is like Kate Stover's real life. This is not yeah, like, oh, let's we're not joking. Stereotype of farm bike. No, he's le- <laughs> no, he legit. I'm not joking. He is. Yeah. And he he embraces it, and that's what he's about. So yeah. um, I can get see I can see people liking Kate Stover. Here's one that again is a one percenter. It's from the six one two. It's our guy Rick in Buffalo. I'm driving the bus for Joe Royer. I know far wiser men than I have have drank the Buckeye tight end Kool-Aid, but the vision of Joe Royer leaping to snag the first touchdown of the spring game from Kyle McCord is etched in my mind. Driving the bus for Joe Royer doesn't mean he's going to dent the wide receiver room, stranglehold on receptions, but it means he comes up with a big couple of touchdowns and first down catches in tight moments against Wisconsin and Michigan. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to your picks, Rick and Buffalo. Nathan, Joe Royer, what do we think? I, I'll hear it. I mean, I think it's likely kind of along what Rick is saying. At some point this year, a tight end is going to do something memorable in a good way, probably. And now the driving the bus exercise is kind of a way to play pin the tail on the tight end as to who that's going to be. Well, and can I tell you, the number one tight end got 1%. The number two tight end got 1%. And the number three tight end got a lot more than yeah, 1%. I bet he did. There is some love a coming and we will get to it. So let's not go there right now. Hero canoe got a write in vote from the six one five. No hero canoe. I think he's going to be an impact player this year. That's hard because he's a true freshman lineman. And he's a right? nose. So and, and talk like, to he me. He might be on the Mike Hall plan. Yeah. So great to think that was a great get for them. I, I think it would be really hard for that to happen um, now. As I said, there were a couple people, somebody, a couple people did Travion Henderson from the 419. You're not offering this as an option and you all covered this a bit last week, but I still think um, I'm going in and I'm driving 90 in a 45 driving the Travion Henderson bus. I don't know if it will manifest in the Heisman. That's such a QB award. But by the end of the season, I'm confident the national narrative will be that Henderson is the singularly most special talent on the best offense in college football. This guy is Reggie Bush, Saquon Barkley level special. And he will use this season to propel himself as the number one candidate for the 2023 Heisman Trophy. That, Stephen, is how you drive the bus for a guy that everybody thinks is going to be really good. Yep, because what you're saying is he's going to the Doka Walker Award this year, and then he's going to be the f- first running back to win the Heisman Trophy since, like, who, uh, an Alabama guy? <laughs> One yeah. of those Alabama guys? So, They're yes, different. to the point I was making earlier, if you're going to drive the bus for somebody who's already a Super Bowl, uh, a, a superstar, drive it somewhere where none of us were thinking we were going to take the bus, and that's what they did there. I respect it. It's, it, it's, and maybe the payoff isn't right now, but they're playing the long game. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie Hickman, I think maybe I said Ronnie Hickman didn't get a vote. He did. He got a write-in from the 205. Ronnie Rocket 
may be my favorite player on this team. I'll ride the bus. He's going to be a top 20 draft pick next April, Nathan. That, that's another version. Like this guy is a very solid Big Ten safety who led Ohio State in tackles last year. It is hard for safeties to get drafted that high. People thought Kyle Hamilton was like, you know, the next Malik Hooker, and he slid a little bit in the draft. He, like Malik Hooker was the 12th overall pick and, and or the, uh, like the 15th overall pick and has had some injuries in his career. Like he's not going to be a top 20 pick in next year's draft because of the position that he plays. And, and I personally, Nathan, I don't think of Ronnie Hickman that way. I think he's a really important football player for this defense, but my expectation for Ronnie Hickman is to basically do the same thing he did last year, which is be a stabilizing, steadying force on a good defense, but maybe not be the kind of guy that makes you think, Holy moly, that guy's going to be tearing it up on Sundays. So if this person from two Oh five is going there with Ronnie Hickman, I think this guy is a good NFL player. I respect it. Like that's, that's a bus. Yeah. You know, I think I would, it's better than saying he's like a play hard guy, right? A try hard guy. He's better than that. I think there's more unique athleticism there, you know, going back to his high school days, being a, um, a major lacrosse guy, as much as he was a football guy and, and just having an all around athletic gift that he's now applied to football this way. But I agree with you. I would think that his ceiling is more like top 100. Which pick. is still be great. It's yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be fantastic. I mean, we, we talk about those, we, we sort of like toss those aside. We were talking about Ohio state sometimes, but like top 100 is that's legit. That's, that's safety, you can be yeah. a big impact player. But yeah, especially at that position. If he were still playing the same position he was playing last year, I'd be able, not the top 20 draft pick part, but a lot of the other stuff they were talking about, I'd still be open to. But now that he's playing more of the adjuster, you know, do your job role. It's kind of harder to see that just because I'm not sure how that position flashes in comparison to the bandit role. It's one of those things who like, who do we think is a better football player, Jordan Fuller or Ronnie Hickman? I think, I think one, I think Ronnie Hickman might be a better football player. Um, I'm wondering how his combine situation is going to go. I think he might impress some people, especially once he gets into a lot of those meetings. Well, it's one of those things, like, as we know, Jordan Fuller wound up going in the sixth round, was kind of underrated here, but everybody said he was the glue that held the defense together in 2019. And then they got to the NFL and they were like, oh, you're a starter and also, like, run our defense. And so that would be, I mean, if you're telling me that Ronnie Hickman is going to be, like, an invaluable part of a Super Bowl-level defense, and I know Jordan Fuller was hurt for the Super Bowl last year, then that's like, oh, no, that's quite quite busworthy, right? So I... I think Jordan Fuller was underrated the whole time he was here, but I don't know that I see a Jordan Fuller career for Ronnie Hickman. That's not, that's not a criticism. It's just, um, but that would, if he has it, that then you're driving the bus for him. If you think he's going to get there, Evan Pryor, a one percenter, Steven, I really want to pick Evan Pryor, but I just don't think the role will be there this year for him. He got a handful of votes. I, I, I get that, right? That you feel we've talked a lot about is, is it going to be a little more Mayan Williams? Is it going to be a little more Evan Pryor? And I will tell you, Mayan Williams got some support on here. I can understand Stephen like wanting to pick Evan Pryor, but not even being sure that you can. So I remember, remember when I brought the 60, 20, 20 thing on the Travion pod. Yeah. Not far off. I mean, that's actually a pretty good example from somebody I was talking to in, in the program. Not far off. So the, I think the driving the bus for him would be if he and Mayan Williams are the 2020 in that situation, 
Evan Pryor just does more with his 20 than what Mayan mm-hmm. Williams does with his 20. Yeah. Which because you haven't necessarily seen it in a real game and it feels like Mayan Williams has flashed his first two years and now he's gotten his body right. I'm going to assume Mayan Williams got an abundance of votes in comparison to what Evan Pryor got. So that's probably part of this. I do I think it's one of those where it's like, hey, maybe Evan Pryor, can you, does he help you win it in an important game? Because there's a one thing to be like to take your 20 and yeah, you're solid and we can rely on you. But do you break a tackle and drop a spin move and a stiff arm and run 41 yards in the middle of the third quarter in a tight Wisconsin game and like help help, you know, have the biggest play on the go ahead drive, Nathan? Like that's I don't know. Like, again, that doesn't mean that Evan Pryor is going to have 800 yards from scrimmage, but could he in year two help them win a big game in this role? Yeah, I think it's definitely on the table. I thought he'd be a popular pick just because there, as much as there are a bunch of Mayan Williams fans out there, I think there are always people who are waiting for that that second guy who's a little bit more dynamic than just being a backup. And he seems to fit that profile. All right, a couple more guys I want to talk about. CJ Hicks actually did not get as much love as I thought he might. He's a one percenter. It's absolutely C.J. Hicks. He's the Travion Henderson of the defense, Stephen. Are you surprised maybe that he didn't get a little more love? Because that comparison is he's a true freshman who's going to demand to be on the field, and when he gets on the field, he's going to show everybody how good he is right away. No, because we just talked to linebackers yesterday. <laughs> we got Jim Knowles, and he said that Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberger solidifying those starting roles. I think if we'd have done this before Jim Knowles said those words, C.J. Hicks would have been a lot higher on this list. Scared people off a little bit, maybe. It is interesting to remember, and I just wrote about C.J. Hicks and and his potential for the site this morning. Still has his black stripe. Yeah. Now, it was about this time into camp. I think it was four practices into camp last year that Denzel Burke lost his black stripe. So it can still happen. It's just it, they're clearly not forcing him ahead to something greater than he can handle. And he's also maybe not forcing the issue yet himself. A couple more. This guy is absolutely going to play and he got more votes. He was the highest one percenter, but he's still a one percenter and it's Dewan Jones, Nathan from the four Oh six. I voted Dewan Jones. It seems like the average fan opinion of him is high, but with how he has played thus far and the development he has shown, especially since giving up basketball, as you've all discussed, I think he could be quite great this season. Additionally, if he is great this season, I could see him becoming a popular player nationally once the national talking heads figure out how good the mammoth human being that Dewan Jones is, which could be good for him. Also, I saw him on campus once, and thus I have a vested interest in his success. That's as reasonable as anything. I, I thought you could find a path for more people to vote for Dewan Jones than people did. Well, first of all, people from space have seen Dewan Jones on campus, like with a good telescope, like the guy is massive. And I think that this texture makes some really good points, especially about that that possibly growing national profile. But let's back up even beyond that. Like, could he be great next year? Well, look, depending on how you parse your definition of great, like he was pretty great at some things last year. He was a really good run blocker last year. He does have to improve as a pass blocker. But 
it, it, it kind of, he put him in that category of guys who've already done this. And now it's just a matter of replicating it or just making some natural improvements. And he is someone where you would think that maybe last year wasn't the plateau because he was coming along a little later. He had to get his body fixed. He is now fixing his body even more in impressive ways that we already talked about on the pod and losing some weight and chiseling up a little bit. There's every reason to think that as good as he was last year, and he was a real reason why that offense was as good as it was, he could be even better this year. And I think they're right that once, because of his personality, because of his sheer size, those are absolutely some things that could get picked up in in profiles on the national games or whatever and and start to get him out there as one of the the faces of the program, really. I think it's a – can a guy who's never, ever going to take a snap as a left tackle be a first-round draft pick? I think – Dewan Jones is the profile where that could be a yes, just because he's that big, he's in shape, he's that athletic, and like, if he's an improved pass blocker combined with what he did in the run game, then like, I mean, he's still a super athlete. He could he could turn himself into a first round draft pick without ever taking a snap at left tackle, or just like the blind side of a of a quarterback. Because if because if CJ Stroud was le- was left handed, then Paris Johnson would be the right tackle right now. So I I was making that. I think I was talking about the other day after we talked to him about the guy, Mackay Becton comparison and Becton like blew his knee out. The Jets can't. Oh, yeah. and it might that be was a the year. Not, huge not jinx great. job there. Yeah. Um, there's another guy though, that, that I think I could think could fit here. Um, and it's, it's a, it's an, in the end was a negative story, but I think it fits in a lot of ways in that 2020 NFL draft when a bunch of tackles went, Andrew Thomas was a left tackle for Georgia and he was the fourth overall pick in the draft. But the guy who was the right tackle for Georgia that year who was gigantic was Isaiah Wilson, and he was sort of a surprise first-round pick. He went 29th overall to the Titans, and then he had some off-field issues and completely washed out. So that's where there's no comparison. But in terms of you're not even the best tackle on your team, but your team's really good. Mm -hmm. You're really big. We really need tackles, and we're going to take a right tackle in the first round. I think think if Isaiah Wilson could be a first-round pick, I think DeWan Jones can be a first-round pick. So – I would, I what this he was another guy who was on my list of maybes for my bus pick because I think there's a world where like he's a first team All American. And if you, I mean, that that's not what the average person expects of DeWan Jones right now, that he's just like, he really gets in shape. He really gets it. He has Justin Fry, they have a new offensive line coach, and he just absolutely gets after it. I, I think that might be out there. Um, quick one on Reed Carrico, who again, I appreciate the idea of irrational bus driving. From the 419, I can't give you a reason why I picked Reed Carrico, other than I met his parents at the Ralphies in Finley after the Michigan game, and they were saying he is committed to never letting that happen again. I have a feeling he will play an important role this year. That's Eric and Finley. And I talked to Eric to Reed Carrico in the spring. He was really trying to lock down that Sam linebacker job. We don't even know if there's going to be a Sam linebacker job, but it looks like he's kind of the third guy up at Sam right now. So I just, with the numbers in that room, I think it gets tough for him this year potentially but i i respected in the spring him talking about like i'm trying to find my role man i'm fighting i'm trying to show them something i'm trying to in a crowded room you know kind of squeeze in there and show them what i can do i think it's a really smart way to approach it i'm just not sure it's gonna work this year all right quick break when we come back i think we'll get to my guy i think we'll get to my guy we'll do it next on buckeye talk Doug, Nathan, and Steven, if you want to be able to vote on stuff like this, send in comments on stuff like this, have your comments read on the podcast, be a producer for our podcast, work for free, do our jobs for us. (laughs) If it sounds like that's something you would want to pay to do, 
This is it in action. You can sign up at 614-350-3315. I, I do think, guys, we've we've hit a good stretch here where if you're if you're just really more of an absorber, you just kind of want to take what, you know, read what we send and maybe cast a vote every now and then because it takes five seconds to vote. I'll vote on that. I think it's worth it. But if you want to be more than that, if you want to be super engaged and you want to respond and send in comments and ask us questions, like that's kind of like the next level. You don't have to pay extra for that. But I think it's worth it. There's, we have definitely two different types because because even when we hear back, like there's we got a, a ton of votes in the poll. We still have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who did vote. But they still are deciding to be tech subscribers because they think I just they like to absorb the information that we send every now and then. So I think I don't want people ever listening to the show to be like, well, I don't want to have to like write answers and do homework on football or whatever. It's like there just so you know, there are a lot of people who don't. And by their presence of existing, we can tell how many subscribers we have. They must get value out of it because they're still around. Either that or they just decided that they forgot to cancel it on their credit card, which I probably shouldn't be reminding them of right now. Don't do it. Don't cancel it. Don't just go it's, back to forgetting. It's like Jim Knowles' safety room, though. We've got he's got adjusters and bandits, and we've got absorbers and engagers. Oh, yeah, I like it. We said we were going to like rename every position. Now we're going to name our tech subscribers. You're an absorber or an engager. Uh, let's do some two percenters. Let's see. Did I did I delete the poll? I might have deleted the poll. Hold on a second. I deleted. I had a I had a. Oh, here it is. I had a document too. I had a Google Doc. I deleted uh, the two percenters. There's one of them. Paris Johnson got two percent. Paris Johnson got two percent. I was a little surprised by that because if you think like I think Paris Johnson is going to be the best tackle in the country and a top ten draft pick, I think that would be driving the bus for him. Is that? Using the logic of maybe why people didn't vote for him, maybe most people just don't view that as driving the bus because they just think Paris Johnson is going to be really good. And so it just yeah, I mean, kind of is common tried knowledge. To explain, I, I tried to leave like someone who you think is going to be good is going to be great. I, I mean, like if you if you wrote in and said, lock this guy in for the top 10. Like if you think Jed Wills yeah. is a top 10 pick, like lock him in. I will bet my house he's a top 10 pick. That's driving the bus to me. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's I mean, a, it's a little obvious, but it, it, also he's playing a position he's never played in college before. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like he, when he came out of high school, if people had said, Hey, he'll be a first round, but you'll be a top 10 pick three years later. People would have been like, yeah, that sounds about right. And then that's almost been part of the consternation of why he's only getting the one year at left tackle where you, you might only get it for one year instead of two or three, like you might've yeah. thought of back then. Paris Johnson, 2%, three percenters, court Williams, Cam Martinez, Tommy Eichenberg, Zach Harrison, Tyleek Williams, Mayan Williams. And my pick is in that group. And it's Court Williams, which I think probably people could have. Yes, shocker. Are you kidding me? From the 440, I nearly submitted for G. Scott, but I couldn't submit for a tight end given the historical evidence. I just love the idea of him bulking up and creating mismatches at every level. But Court Williams seems like a starting safety. Safety feels like a crowded room, so I'd love for him to carve out a role against run-heavy teams that carries over into other games. So I am encouraged. That's that's not me. That's a texture. That's like kind of the only person who kind of wrote in. Maybe a couple of people did. I, I went through everybody's. I wasn't able. I'm not able to read everybody's, but I went through all the responses we got. So the idea that maybe he is going to be 
like the third linebacker in some of these games as a safety is what pushed me over the top here. If I just felt like there's not like there's not a way for him to get on the field, that he's not going to play ahead of Josh Proctor and Ronnie Hickman. I don't know that they're going to rotate those guys just to get Court Williams on the field. And there's a, not a role. Otherwise, I don't think I would have picked him. So um, there's a part of me that's like, well, do I really want to pick a guy who might only have a real role for four games? But I'm also kind of thinking, Nathan, like maybe he's so good when he's out there. They're like, we've got to play him. And maybe it forces, I don't know what. They're not going to change his position. They're not going to bench Josh Proctor. But maybe he starts working in. And maybe there's just at a moment when it feels like he's a backup, he actually winds up being eighth on the team in defensive snaps. And there are moments that you remember from the season where he made a play that mattered. And it's five moments that you remember, not one. Is that like, if that's what it is, Nathan, if he's eighth on the defense and snaps, and makes five to 10 plays that really matter. Is that enough? Or is that, is that driving a bicycle? Is that like a bicycle built for two? And like, he's waiting for a bus. And I'm like, I think you're going to be eighth on the defense and snaps. Will you jump on the back? I have a bell and a basket. Let's go get some ice cream. And court was like, what are you talking about? I'm going to be first team all big 10. What are you doing? I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't go any farther. I apologize. Well, think about it this way eighth in snaps, but two of the guys you think will be above him are two guys that you sort of eliminated from the voting in Burke and Hickman. So now you're talking about sixth among guys who are even eligible for a consideration here. No, I think that's a legitimate impact because this is a legitimate pick because this is all about um, finding the difference making impact, like putting your weight behind who you think will make that difference making impact. Sometimes the unexpected impact that you can't always clearly see on paper going into a season or a game would you have picked him prior to the conversations we had yesterday or did the conversations with Jim Knowles affect you picking him because this is I was going back through Knowles's interview today and he he seems to talk now this is something I have to write about because you've talked about the tweeners for so long yep. and guys that can get stuck in between places but he's talking about both Lathan Ransom and Court Williams as being like they're doing things in practice, especially as far as stopping the run, where I think I have to find them a place on the field. So it's it goes into that rotation from strength versus rotation from weakness. And it's starting to trend towards that safety group where Knowles is saying out loud, we can rotate from strength and almost we need to rotate from strength. I would have wanted to pick Court Williams, but I'm not sure I could have justified it before what Jim Knowles said the other day. I think I would have in the end had to guide myself somewhere else because I just didn't know how much he was going to play. So the, so a door opening on a role, on a specific version of a role that I can envision in my head, and then I can envision him doing well at it and creating more for himself, that's, that's what opened the door for me. So, um, all right. So we are officially into the top 12. And let me count real quick, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Court Williams is tied for 12th with Cam Martinez and Tommy Eichenberg. We did not get a lot of, we didn't, I, I, we didn't get really get much discussion about Cam Martinez. 
Steven, I think Cam Martinez would be like a really interesting guy. Again, especially since we just talked about now on the pod the other day, because Jim Knowles said that he's cross-training at corner. And if they have any injuries at corner, oh my gosh, now Cam Martinez, we already knew he was the second nickel safety. Um, that would have seemed like an interesting pick to me. And again, he got 3% of the vote, but not overwhelming. It's less interesting because now he's repping at corner and it's because they don't have any depth there. I think the it's case less interesting. Doesn't that make I think, it more interesting? Nah, because I think that the, the case that you would have come in with from the get go is kind of what we've all been. It's like Cameron Martinez is actually the best nickel safety. Tanner McAllister just knows the role. It's so a whole start the first couple of weeks, but like Cam Martinez mm. locks down that job coming out of those two basically preseason games after the Notre Dame game. Like and now you have to we can't move you because you're so good. We think you're going to start over here. We're not. moving. Yeah. But and so and now you almost have to rethink it a little bit because. I mean, he's definitely not going to start over Cam Brown and Denzel Burke. So at, at best, uh, as, if the situation holds and he actually has to stay at outside corner at best, he's the fourth cornerback. But the way that Jim Knowles is starting to talk about nickel safety makes me wonder if that was going to be a real path for him anyway. I don't know. We're overacting a little bit just to those. Well, but I don't, when he talks about when that he was talks almost about Fort Williams and Leighton Ransom, he's not really talking about nickel safety. He's talking yeah, about and, and also, right. I think part of that was like Doug had asked a question of, do you have to think about certain things differently because you have to prepare for teams who are going to run the ball heavy now? So he was more referring to those type of games, which – yeah, you're in the Big Ten, but we're only talking about three teams when you're having all, that conversation. All I'm saying is where I push back on it being like less exciting now is that Jim Knowles loves Cam Martinez the way he talked about him yesterday. And now they may desperately need help at corner more than ever, and he's playing there. He's practicing there, at least some. Which is fine, but... Jordan Hancock doesn't get hurt. Does that still happen? I mean, it doesn't. Like you love him, but you moved him because you had to, not because you wanted to. And he was showing you some things is what it sounds like. Because that's how he preferenced it. The fact that this is a long-term issue. So now Cameron Martinez and Jansen Dunn are repping at cornerback. And he didn't even, he didn't make that decision. He wouldn't ask Tim Walton and Perry Eliano, like who are some guys we can take. And they, they, made the it, they suggested that he take Jansen Dunn and Cameron Martinez so it doesn't as well, much yeah. as uh, the way he's talking about Cameron Martinez is fine but it doesn't sound like they moved him because oh we gotta put him at corner it's like we have no cornerbacks and so why not we take our backups and make them corners I'm just say teams have discovered other things like this by accident and had them turn out yeah. very good and if you're driving the bus for somebody already under the concept that like look this guy just has something it's something that's too good to keep off the field. I don't know where it's going to show up, but it will show up. Then the fact that he now has another option to get on the field is a little bit more enticing. So I, I, there were some people, at least a couple of people who like kind of wanted to vote for Jordan Hancock, but kind of pulled back from it after the report of yeah. limping. Um, so like a not, not a lot of juice there. Our guy, Luke in Denver did say, he wants to drive the bus for Jordan Hancock, Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, J.K. Johnson, and Jair Brown. Um, that's who he's driving the bus for. I generally believe in this group in a way that I haven't since 2019. I'm thankful for Kerry Combs giving this parting gift as it feels like an oasis in a desert, and I am very excited to watch these guys turn into a lockdown group, albeit a shallow group. Also, I am hijacking and crashing anyone's Tommy Eikensberg's bus. That feels mean. You can't say that. So that's so. I thought he meant hide. So. 
Okay, I wouldn't have read that if I understood what he, what he was saying. You thought he made a hijacking and driving because he yeah, believes in Tony Eichenberg. No, so, uh, and also I respected this from the 614. Last year I voted for Josh Proctor, and as a result, I am abstaining from this year's survey. Respect. I, I respect people who do that. So, um, Tommy Eichenberg was in this tie for 12th. A couple people opined on Eichenberg from the 937. I think he gets thrown in the Borland basket, but is way better. He's got it all. And that's our fault if you think he's in the Borland baskets because we put him there a lot. From the 4-3-4, Butkus Award winner will be Tommy Eichenberg. Nathan, that is not a bus. That is a space shuttle. That is that is how you do this exercise. Yeah, I that is that 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 is out there. Um, but listen, like you got to go by what we see and what we hear. And we both hear and see that he is established at the top of this depth chart right now. Jim Knowles talks about him with that, that glint in his eye uh, that, that linebacker coaches and defensive coordinators sometimes do when it's guys who are just like that block of granite. And that's not a knock against his mobility. It's more about his, just his sturdiness and his, his reliability. So I'm not going out on that limb. But the the concept that there's more to Tommy Eichenberg than he's shown us already, I, I can believe that. Eleventh is Zach Harrison, which is we've had a lot of Zach Harrison conversations over the years. From the four one nine, I bet my brother that if Zach Harrison is an All American this year, he will need to reopen the bar Lucky's on High Street in Columbus. So if Zach Harrison's an All American, a bar gets its wings. Good luck. From the 614, I went with Zach Harrison. I've seen too many older players explode in there last year. He's clearly got the tools and the presence of Jack and JT depresses his price to the point that I think he's a great buy for the expectations calibrated survey. I think that's a very smart way of, of talking about that. From the 813, the offense should be excellent, but I wanted to go with a defensive guy, so I went with Zach Harrison. It's year four. He seems like a great kid whose career hasn't lived up to the hype, and for his sake, which of course the team would benefit from. I'd like to see him take his game to that elite level. That's from the 813. One more on Zach driving the bus for Zach Harrison in the 210. Too much at stake this year and too much development maturity he can bring as a true senior. Steven, um, I, I don't want to have the same Zach Harrison conversation that we've had a million times, but I think this feels about right. A couple people maybe buying low on an underappreciated senior. But also, it's kind of more fun to go with more unknown guys because he's played a lot of football the last three years. Low risk, high reward with Zach Harrison if we were actually gambling on these people, which yeah, I mean, I'm fine with. And the hard part about it is, it's like PFF named him like a preseason all, but you know, like there's yeah. some people who are, I think, sort of in their own way, like too high on Zach Harrison, mm-hmm. which affects it also, where it's like, well, no, he, he probably should be a kind of underrated good football player who has a chance to be great. And everybody goes, ah, yes, there it is. But also may continue, Nathan, to be very good, which also would be very helpful, but really wouldn't be anything that anyone would drive the bus for at this point. Nathan. Yeah, it's just if if you think that the the kind of hate has gone too far on him that people because he didn't become a Bosa or a young or hasn't that uh, that you feel like that couches the, the opinions about him in too too dark of a tone or whatever that 
the, the driving the bus is just an appreciation of him. I, I, I could see it. Tenth, Tyleek Williams, who was one of two Buckeyes on Bruce Feldman's top 100 freaks list that came out on Wednesday. And we won't talk about the guy who was higher than him. But Tyleek Williams was in the 60s overall from the 3-3-0. By some stats, PFF, Tyleek Williams outplayed Jack Sawyer and JT uh, as a freshman last year. If those flashes become sustained and the two defensive ends of my call – live up to their rankings. This defensive line feels like it could be great this year and historically good next year. That's Tim in the three, three Oh, believing in Ty Leak. This is Andrew in the three, three Oh, who is uh, all about Ty Leak Williams. Um, this year, I officially picked Ty Leak the freak Williams. I would still be inclined to add some Jackson Smith and Jigba love, but I've been impressed with him since high school. Um, my Ty Leak take is this. I think he will be first or second team all American and play any important snap, mainly fourth quarter snaps against good teams. I think he'll be second in the team in sacks with JT first, and he will lead the team in tackles for loss. I think he is a rare Ohio State player. I think he will be the better Draymond Jones, whom I loved at St. Ignatius in Ohio State. That's the deal, Stephen. Does that feel reasonable? Yeah. If I said Zach Harrison is low risk, high reward, I think Talik Williams is high risk, high reward, where all that might be on the table. But as we've talked about time and time again, let me see it against first stringers who aren't tired in a real game. And so, like, yeah, there's going to be there could be a major payoff there or he could just be a really, really good three tech. So, like, if we were gambling, I don't know if that's where I would place my money yet, but. I understand why the excitement is there. It's it, it's it's almost too high. Like it's it's like when we did the rankings of the players during the season, and like Tyreek Williams finished like fifth amongst defensive players. Where it's like, okay, we get it, but let's put him in context. I think a lot of it is PFF driven. I do think this is not a, a much of a value bet, as you were saying, Stephen. I think the value bet here. I'm not saying I predict this, but Nathan, like, if you wanted to value bet. Mike Hall has a bigger impact this year than Tyreek Williams. I think that's a road you can go down that Tyreek Williams is a seven and Mike Hall's an eight, you know, kind of thing that they're both very good. But just because Mike Hall didn't play last year and Tyreek Williams played in blowouts, like we have this view of them in a certain way. So this is not at all doubting Tyreek Williams, but I think, I think a lot, some of the small sample size stuff, as Stephen alluded to, is, is is would guide me away from making him my pick. Yeah, and I, I worry, I, I can tell just from the text, I think there's some opinion here that we or I are like down on Tyleek Williams just because we've tried to contextualize a little bit the production he had last year. I think Tyleek Williams is very good. I think he's going to help this defense potentially a lot this year. But when I picked my call, one thought I kind of had in mind was, what if Mike Hall had been the guy who got here last spring and Tyreek Williams had shown up in July? Yeah, no, I think I think that's mm-hmm. a, a reasonable way to look at it. Uh, so Tyreek Williams is 10. Mine Williams is nine. And we had a discussion when we talked to running backs. I, I said, hey, maybe maybe I've been doubting Mayan Williams too much. From the 843, Mayan Williams, there's no way they watched the Nebraska game and don't think he would have been a difference maker. Uh, Mayan Williams from the four for oh, my vote is Mayan Williams. I think he already had a good amount of wiggle and so much power that if he trimmed down slightly, gained some speed and kept that power, he will be a perfect compliment to Travion. I just say him being a reliable guy that we'll be able to count on to come on in and spell Travion. 
and not see a huge drop off in performance or to be used in third down short goal line situations and be confident he will get positive yardage. I think he would be a feature back at most other programs in the big 10. So I just see a ton of upside. We had that conversation the other day where we thought maybe he'd started all but four big 10 teams from the seven four Oh with Williams. I think there was a bit of a negative bias towards him with mainly Buckeye talk because of the manner and ranking in which he came into the program. Um, you've already made half a podcast on why he's not that good. So I know where you stand. I just disagree. So, um, Nathan, that idea, like, um, we just had a podcast the other day where I, I was like, eh, I don't know, maybe like he got, he said he lost some weight. He got a little bit faster. He kept the power, you know, the idea of him being a compliment to Travion Henderson, my main issue, my main issue a year ago was when people were driving the bus for Mayan Williams or master Teague as like the alternative, to Travion Henderson. Like, no, I, I don't think Travion Henderson, a true freshman, is going to be the guy. I think it's going to be Master Teague and Mayan Williams. So that's where I started, and I thought that was crazy. I thought that made no sense. I thought, this guy you flipped from Iowa State you think is going to be more important than a five-star freshman, and I know he's a true freshman, but come on. The ceilings are not the same. So that's where it started. But a conversation about can he complement the All-American candidate I think is a different conversation. What do you think about Mayan Williams being in the top ten here, Nathan? I get it just from the, the fan favorite status that he has definitely built over the past couple of years. I expected him to be pretty high in this vote. And I think of him the same way I thought of Teague in a lot of ways. I think there are some limitations to his game. Doesn't mean he can be, can't be very productive for a team that's trying to win a national championship. And uh, I was always the one who kind of, spoke up for Teague or I may mean, say I always was, but I, I definitely over the time, over the years would push back a little bit on the, the like widespread criticism of Teague and say like, listen, like he's still going out there and doing the things he's when he, when he only has to do the things he's supposed to do, he does them. It's only when he's like exposed beyond that, that it becomes a problem. And I think that would probably be true of Mayan Williams. I think if they had to play a full season with Mayan Williams at the top of the depth chart, I think people would see the difference, but that's, I, I don't, again, I, I think that's true of the difference between um, Paris Johnson and Zen Michalski too. That's a bad example, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's, no, you no, can no, say no, that about it. two people at every position. Like somebody has to be the backup. Somebody is the next tier down. And that doesn't mean you're bad, especially at Ohio state. It means you're actually one of the best college football players at your position in the country, probably. Um, I, I think we're all getting in the same groove on mine, which is like, he's probably a pretty good backup running back. And I just, I, I don't think he should like take carries away from Trevion Henderson. If Trevion Henderson's not tired, but Trevion Henderson is going to be tired at some points. Then Mayan Williams will go in and it'll probably all work out very well. Steel chambers is eight. Steven, not a lot of discussion about him. Chip Trainum was one of the one percenters. And I, I wanted to talk about him and we didn't. I thought maybe, especially I did this linebacker story that I think I talked about on here, but it went up Wednesday morning. It was like, hey, I asked all the linebackers, who's the fastest, strongest, funniest, smartest? And Chip trained them like almost everybody. Four out of the five people said Chip was the fastest. Tommy Eichenberg said Steel Chambers. And a couple people said Chip trained them was the strongest. I could see like, hey, there's this guy who's fast and strong and is converting from running back at Arizona State to linebacker at Ohio State. It's going to take a little bit of time but I'm going to drive the bus because I, when I think it hits, it hits steel chambers. If you drive the bus for him, Steven, and we didn't really get a lot of people explaining it. What do you think that looks like? Like you think he can be first team all big 10. Cause it sort of seems like he's definitely the starting will linebacker. Like how, how good would he have to be for this to be a successful bus ride? 
first team all Big Ten. Okay. That's the only way that you're okay with your first and second string will linebackers are former running backs. And I, I say that for either one of them. It's hard because, like, there's just so much juice with C.J. Hicks and Chip Trainum in different ways. There's so much, like, uncertainty. There's so much, like, ooh, what could that look like? And Steel Chambers has a lot of that, too. But, Nathan, it's almost like one of those things. He's, the, he's not very established as a linebacker. For him to be maybe Ohio State's best linebacker, a guy who's played linebacker at the college level for one year is weird. That, I think, is an indication of the state of the linebackers. But it's a credit to him. But then it's almost like, he should be still like new and exciting and like, wow, we should be, this guy was a running back 15 months ago, but because his backups have even less experience for, for than him, he's almost not as exciting, but again, he is a dynamic personality. Everyone says he's funny. He's a great interview. He busts his butt. You watch him play and he's shooting in the backfield and making plays. He made plays last year at linebacker when he got in the second half of the year, Nathan, that nobody else was making. All people as fans and a lot of times you want to see a linebacker attack every now and then. And you don't know the responsibility. You don't know what the play call is. You don't know what his duties are. But when you see a linebacker attack somebody, it just makes everyone. That's not a compliment, though. Last year, that Steel Chambers was making plays that no other linebacker. No, but that's what I'm saying. But but he's he's the best they've got. Yeah. So it's so I mean, we've all had that discussion. I mean, like, again, but we're not. But. He's doing the best he can, but yeah. somehow he's almost viewed as like an experienced guy when actually he still does not have that much experience. He should be an exciting new guy, except this room doesn't really have many established guys, so he's the established guy. But what is your expectation as a Ohio State fan? It's that you're recruiting guys who come into this program, and um, it's not just that he, you're – it's not just that the guys that – Ohio State plays will do things that other guys aren't doing. It's they'll do things that other guys can't do. And I, again, linguistics, but you see what I'm saying there? Like, it's like Mm -hmm. who, which of these guys are going to come here and do special things. And I thought steel chambers did important things for this team last year. I don't know if people look at him and see him doing special things. Now, whole year of experience under his belt, better foundation, more experience, has a better head on his shoulders as to what the position entails. I could see him taking a step forward this year, but I also know that maybe the enthusiasm on him could be tampered down a little bit by the fact that you've got CJ Hicks still looming in the background. I know that not a lot of people picked CJ Hicks necessarily, but it may be why they're not picking Steel Chambers. Yeah. So, okay. So Steel Chambers is seventh, and then the top six, one, two, three. No, he was eighth. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Steel Chambers was eighth. The top seven all have at least 6% of the vote, which is pretty good. That's, that's kind of a lot of support when you've got like 34 people on the ballot and another six or eight people getting write-in votes. When we come back, we'll dive into them. We're driving the bus on Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen, number seven is a Mecca Egbuka. And he, this is a guy, this, this is a guy that it's fun to drive a bus for. He was the number one receiver recruit in his class. He's a second year guy. He's going to have a role from the two one six. I'm going with the Mecca Buka. I have a feeling he's going to be the guy to break out with defenses focusing so much on JSN. Plus his name is even more fun than JSN's. So that's a big plus too. Chris Olave, fun name. Jackson Smith and Jigba, very fun name. A Mecca Buka, super fun name. The logic is indisputable. 
I like people who get Buckeye talk. Kenny Stabler from the 614. I'll go with a Mecca. I think he is a caged animal ready to explode. And I still have some doubts about Julian Fleming. So I think a Mecca could steal a spot and become the second or third dude from the 614. Last year, I drove the bus for Ibuka and said he'd be the best of this era of receivers by the time he's done. I would now put him behind JSN. Otherwise, I'm doubling down. Wow. Uh, I feel like Ibuka is a little forgotten at times. Generally, not by any person specifically. I haven't come off him as the number one receiver in his class. He's going to be good enough that going into 2023, people will be talking about him and Harrison the way they did about Wilson and Olave going into 2021. A couple more on a Mecca. People are excited from the 330. There's a lot of guys on this team I would drive the bus for, but I'm going with a Mecca. I think we are really going to see why he was the best receiver in his class, and he becomes so good this year. We cannot take him off the field. I see him having a JSN type of second year. I cannot wait to watch him. Last one from the five, six, seven. I voted for Ibuka at the beginning of the off season. I wanted him to start over Julian Fleming. However, as he got through spring, I fell in love with the idea of a Mecca being the number four receiver and practicing at all of the positions. Um, also, I think he provides a lot of value as a return man. Anthony from Finley says, thanks for the survey. Survey, go Bucks. Steven, this is a lot of juice for Agmeka Agbuka. Is it warranted? I respect the way that all these people drove the bus for Agmeka Agbuka because I was actually going to ask that. Are you driving the bus for Agmeka Agbuka, the kick returner, or Agmeka Agbuka, the wide receiver? Because those are two totally different ways to drive the bus well, for him. And and I special teams is so diminished in college football anymore. It's like yeah. I don't even – I mean, you're going to drive a bus hoping that a guy like one time returns yeah. 73 yards. Like it's got to be at receiver. Yeah, I like it. And I do like that. You also sent out to the Texas right after you sent out this poll or maybe a couple. I don't know how much longer it was, but who has a better season between Julian Fleming and Emeka Buka? Because that's almost a conversation here. And so you feel have, like the other two spots are locked in. We have not talked about Julian Fleming yet. I will tell you that he is higher on this mm-hmm. list. But let's have this conversation now because you just referenced it, Stephen. I did set that out because, again, you can't drive the bus for everybody. And if someone's getting picked up, someone else has to get left at the bus stop. And I think it's, this is most clear, Nathan, in the Fleming-Egbuka conversation. Who will have a more productive Ohio State season in 2022? Almost 500 votes. Nathan, I said Egbuka, Fleming, or it will be virtually the same. I did give people an out. Okay. 11% took the out and maybe they believe it in their heart. They're both going to have 35 catches for 500 yards, right? They just think it's going to be, they'll split it. They'll both be important. They'll both be great or they'll both be disappointing. I don't know, but 11% said both Nathan, who do you think won Egbuka or Fleming in the poll of more than 500 people? We know that Fleming in individual votes for number one, when you got to pick one guy out of 40, Fleming got more votes there. So he got more, he got more energy with the votes, but the broad spectrum, who won, do you think, Nathan? So about 89% left in that vote. I, I think Fleming won like 48, 41. Steven, who do you think won, Booker or Fleming? Fleming. Yeah, Fleming. Emeka Egbuka, 49%, 40% for Julian Fleming. Hmm. Nathan, does that surprise you? 
Yeah, obviously, I just said it was the opposite, <laughs> like <laughs> almost the exact the opposite. Here's but I, but it's, I almost, yeah. but I almost drove the bus for Ibuka. Like that was if I picked an offensive guy, that might have been who I drove for. Uh, mostly, I don't discount the special teams' impact. Not that I was—that's what I would have been voting on. But that when this guy got on the b- field and got a ball in his hands, no matter how it got there, special things happened. That hasn't been true of Julian Fleming. Now he hasn't had the kick return opportunities that Emeka Buka did, but yeah, he, did. he did though. He just didn't do anything with them. Well, but but uh, well. but not as not as regularly as Emeka yeah. Buka did. And but you're right. And um, I I just think it means something when a guy as a true freshman gets on the field, and it's not just that. Oh, he he very solidly got out past the twenty, so that was a good kick return or whatever. Like no, like this guy is like keeps being like a shoelace away from maybe breaking that don't make that don't make that be why you're don't make that be no, why you're driving about the bus. Receiver. let's talk about receiver. but that's yeah. but that does leave into why you're talking about receiver because i like i'm saying like anytime you get the ball in your hand and can do something special with it so that i i have you could have more confidence that that's going to happen with a buka this year than it will happen with julian fleming based on what you've already seen on the field Would the first time voted- he got a First time he got the ball as an actual wide receiver, he took it 85 yards and was a shoelace away from scoring a touchdown. So, yeah. Who would you have voted for, Nathan? For just more production this year? If you answered the poll question. I would have voted for I would have voted for Fleming, but I I, I would have voted for Fleming. You would have voted for Fleming. You just made a good Igbuka case. I'm surprised you say you would have voted for Fleming. Steven, who would you have voted for, Fleming or Igbuka? Or I think Fleming. Vote? I think I'd vote for Fleming. But Abuka would have the louder moment, if that makes sense. That's not, that's not what the poll said. So you would have voted for Fleming. I don't. I, I'm interested. The way you guys talk about Abuka made it almost sounds like to me like you would vote for him. Like, just because we've seen it, part, the ball we, in his hands. I know. Then I'm asking, who would you vote for? And you both said Fleming. So we have a Fleming conversation ahead. I think this is conflicting, Stephen, for fans. Mm-hmm. I think fans don't really know what to think. And sometimes you have a poll. And we talk about it like it's close, but everybody leans one way. It might be like, well, I think this, but the general consensus gives this guy the edge. I think people don't know, Stephen, that they don't have. A, I don't know. I don't know if it's if Heartline's going to rotate them equally. I don't know how much Ekbuka might play a couple other positions. I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll go with the hot hand. I don't. I don't. I. It's quite interesting, Stephen, that we don't have a great grasp on it yet. You don't know that, and you also just – we know what makes Emeka Ibuka dangerous. We just don't know what Julian what, what makes Julian Fleming dangerous. You might have an idea based off what you've been told, but we don't know because of every reason we've talked about time and time again, the opportunities just haven't been there for him to show that. While with the other three, at bare minimum, you know why they're dangerous. Sixth is G Scott, and this is a long conversation. We, we've we've got to have, we, we got to scoot a little bit because we don't want to go two hours, but a lot of people, the people who want G Scott are way in. From the 859, my bold prediction this year is that G Scott Jr. will play less snaps than both Royer and Stover, but have more touchdowns than both of them combined. With him on the field, Ohio State essentially has a fourth receiver. I anticipate it will be somewhat matchup dependent, similar to the linebacker lineup. Again, that's the 859. Also on Scott from the 937, I voted for Scott. I really think he has a chance to fill the reviving tight end role on this team. 
Although it isn't a big role for this offense, I believe his wide receiver skills will give him an advantage in the room. And when they do want to use a tight end in the pass game, he will be the guy to go to for that. From the 614, I thought about Fleming and Proctor, but I went with G. Scott. Just living in a fantasy world where Ohio State throws to a dynamic tight end, but he seems pretty forgotten about at times, and he's got the talent to force Ohio State to throw him the ball, I think. Probably more next year than this year, but I think he finds a way to flash and make an impact this year. From the 330, he will change the role of tight end at Ohio State and open up opportunities for the position that others have never reached. Start molding the statue. That's a bus. You're driving the bus past the statue. From the 614, I chose G. Scott because I don't think Ohio State has ever had a receiver turn tight end before. And it could be a lot of fun to see what this skill set brings. Using a tight end to catch balls first and block for runners second has never really been a strategy at Ohio State. But I think that even if his blocking is just adequate, this could be a unique weapon to use. And from the 614, my bus could have had several passengers, but I, co- I chose G. Scott. It's not a position that's heralded at Ohio State, but he chose it as his best option to get playing time is for his future NFL plans. Every year, we talk about whether the tight ends will really get featured and it never happens, but maybe, just maybe, this guy with true wide receiver skills and a newly developed tight end body will get to make his mark. Nathan! Whoa! Man, maybe his dad's listening. That's a lot of people believe it in G. Scott. A lot of respect for a guy making this transition. We've seen it. You can see it. There's a lot of work into his physical transformation. What do you think of the juice, Nathan? I like it. I've, I've always been intrigued as much as we've talked about the way Ohio state uses a tight end room that what if though they get the right athlete there that makes it more viable to use the tight end more as a receiver, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's, you're really threading the needle because it's gotta be the right kind of athlete who can do the other things that they need a tight end to do sometimes more as a priority. And I know that Jeremy Rucker, when he was in high school, was sort of a, a glorified receiver there to, you know, split out wide the whole time. And I know that they've recruited other tight ends like that, but this is something different. This is a guy who was a top 100 wide receiver, like capital W, capital R wide receiver, who then gets converted over physically into becoming this other thing. And I still think I'm, I'm I still have some healthy skepticism about it for this year because of the physical demands of it. But I'm I'm still very curious what what fourth year, fifth year G Scott looks like if he sticks around and keeps growing, keeps developing. Do we do we get to the end of a five year process with him and be like, no, that's definitely an NFL tight end. Jeremy Ruckert is a big butt in this conversation to me. Literally, it's like the idea of like, oh, you have an athlete. They had one. He was making one-handed catches in the Big Ten Championship game. Like, they had a tight end who had receiver skills, and they didn't throw to him. So, but I mean, I I, 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 I don't think that's that's a different different kind of athlete. Yeah, it's a different kind of athlete. He's not like, like, you think G. Scott is, like, substantially, uh, like, a better pass catcher than Jeremy Ruckert? Like I, I just because he played oh, awesome, yeah. before. Hold on, is it really a different type of athlete? Part? Okay, yes, he moved to tight end because there was better opportunity to get on the field, but also because he couldn't keep his weight down to play wide receiver, and it was easier for him to just put some weight on and be a tight end. Which those are the words that came out of his mouth. So that's part of this, but also, where are we driving the tight end bus at Ohio State at this point? For a guy, and you want me to believe that about a guy who, as of right now, perception says he's the third tight end in the room behind Cade Stover and Joe Royer, who was also a receiving tight end. So 
I'm not going to put that much stock, if any stock, into a guy where even if he does have wide receiver skills because he played in high school, so did most tight ends at the college level because they come from high schools where they're probably their best receiving threat. So then most of them don't really learn how to play tight end until they get to college anyway. So I'm, I get it. It sounds cool to have a top 100 receiver now playing tight end and what that might mean, but they're not going to use him over any of the top 100 receivers who did pan out at wide receiver. They're not looking... As I say, that's why I'm not saying I wasn't thinking about 2022 impact. That's I think his impact is bigger. I'm not thinking about any year impact for him, to be honest with you. Jeremy Rucker would never been evaluated as a top 100 receiver. Right. I don't know. One of the top 10 receivers in the country. I don't think so. I think you are underestimating Ohio. Jeremy Rucker's pass catching ability, just like Ohio State did. Like, listen, that. And like G Scott's put on weight, he's still 25 pounds lighter than Jeremy Rucker played at. Yeah. And, right. and, and Ohio State's not putting a tight end on the field that's only a pass catcher. You have to be able to do both. Right. They don't want to be, they put a guy in the field and say, All well, the they're I definitely said. throwing yeah. to him. So I just, but I think the implication that like, I disagree with the implication that G Scott is a significantly different type of athlete than Jeremy Rucker. He's a different kind of athlete than Cade Stover or Luke yep. Farrell. But I think they had it. They had it for four years and they stared at it and told it to block. So and I, every so often told him to go downfield and, and throw him the ball. Uh, they ran one wide res- um, tight end screen. They ran two, two tight end screens, one for Jeremy Ruckett against Utah. And then the other one, they ran the Mitch Rossi. Against I mean, Rutgers. I think they could have, they could have, if they had wanted to, and I'm, you know, they were killing people with a lot of other things. They could have killed people down the scene with Jeremy Ruckert yeah. a lot. And I think he had the ability to like get behind linebackers and make catches. And he showed it when they did it. And they just didn't do it. So I, I, this is the kind of thing, this is like a tall receiver. People love tall receivers. People love receivers who convert to tight end. I would say last year was physical transformation. I think this year is like positional transformation, but I'm still viewing it as more of a transformational year for G Scott, get his body in line. And then let's see what happens in 2023 that that i think is is more reasonable uh for him to be sixth in the voting for bus driving this year i think is a little bit of wishful thinking and some of the people even said that like it's my fantasy that ohio state throws to the tight end and i'm just telling you they had an nfl pass catching tight end on their roster that they didn't throw to for four years so yeah i think 2022 is is a is a leap for him too uh, number five is Jack Sawyer that like literally nobody, I don't think anybody wrote in about. They just are excited that Jack Sawyer is going to be good. So I think we don't have to talk a lot about it. We're going to have a defensive end conversation when we talk to Larry Johnson and the defensive tight ends in the future. So we'll acknowledge that Jack Sawyer was a top five vote getter and move on to number four, Josh Proctor. And this is a guy we've had a lot of conversations about. People are very excited about this from the three, one, two. I voted for Josh Proctor mostly because I am rooting so hard for him. And I think in a safety-driven defense, you have to drive the bus for the best safety. I like that reasoning. A close second was Julian Fleming. So I think that Proctor line of thinking, safety-driven defense, give me the best safety. From the 419, Proctor all the way. I think he becomes All-American in Jim Knowles' safety-driven defense. This is a former top 75 recruit who has shown flashes in terrible defensive schemes and has not been able to have one established role on the team. That's our guy, Wes K. From the 615, I picked Proctor because if the defense is going to be great and it is safety focused, then it has to be Proctor leading the way with his experience and talent. A couple more from the 614. 
The guy made a real impact in 2020 in the postseason. I feel pretty strongly he'd be starting in an NFL defensive backfield now if he hadn't gotten hurt. Way too much disrespect for this guy among some fans. And from the 804, I picked Proctor because I think he might flourish in this Knowles defense. He is finally healthy and could emerge as a big play guy and act as an eraser for this D from the 804. Nathan, the other thing about this is from time to time on the texts, we get texts from people who think we talk too much about Josh Proctor and are expecting too much from him. There are definitely some people who think, I don't know why you guys talk about him that positively, but here's a lot of juice for Josh Proctor. It's just, you've seen the flashes. I know that he has been hurt. I know that there were times when he didn't get on the field, when we and a lot of people expected that he would be. Sometimes I think there was a misevaluation there, such as in like the entire 2020 season, perhaps. But so I understand the, the pushback, but you've also seen him go on the field and like lay people out and make diving interceptions and just make plays. And if you're an Ohio State fan, since you know before this season so if you've been watching this team the last two seasons you've been like starved for somebody to go on the field and make plays in that defensive backfield and there's every reason to believe he can do that this year if he avoids the alien abduction i'm not surprised he's top five Stephen. oh um big 10 championship game 2020 making plays minnesota game making plays oregon game even in that God awful showing of a defense. He was making some plays. And so it's almost like the last hope of this pod driving the bus for Josh Proctor together. It's one of those things that, and, and, and I think we know what this would look like. There's, there's enough people who I think have questions about Josh Proctor that it's like, well, what was driving the bus? What would it look like? It would look like he's one of the most important players on the defense and he makes plays on a regular basis. And whatever that leads to from an award standpoint or whatever, <laughs> it's just, boy, we really did miss him in 2021. I can't believe how much that, because he feels like he's fixing things. I think we know what a successful bus would look like. Third, Steven, I think is your guy. Starts with an M. It does. And the middle is Arvin, yes. Harriso, and mm-hmm. ends with an N. It does. And then there's a junior. Yes, there is. So let's talk about this a little bit from the 614. I was the one who made the comment last year about what if CJ Stroud turns out to be really, really good. I feel vindicated this year. I'm going with Marvin Harrison Jr. Maybe it's the Rose Bowl. Maybe it's the pedigree, but I feel like this could, could be really special, especially with Jackson requiring constant attention from the defense. I know last year, Nathan debated whether you could drive the bus for a projected starter, but I think with this offense, Marvin Harrison Jr. could have an exceptional season for a sophomore and first time starter. Thanks for all that you guys do. From the uh, 937, voter for MHJ, I think he's going to have the opportunity to have some pretty consistent Rose Bowl-esque games throughout the year. However, I did that typing in and erasing Travion's name for the sake of choosing someone relatively unestablished. I do think Trey is going to jack people up. All right. What led you to this guy, Stephen? One, you already referenced um, the athletics uh, freaks list. He's number two. He is number and- two. Some of the, the the reasons why he's number two, six foot three and a half, 206 pounds. Uh, he can bench 225, 22 times, which is kind of ridiculous for a wide receiver. But his max is 380. His shuttle time is 394. His broad is 10.9. And he can run 23 miles per hour. Marvin Harrison is actually might be a freak. And we I think we did this on a pod like six months ago when we brought up the idea of 
what if Marvin Harrison Jr. is everything Garrett Wilson is as an X receiver, but also he's three inches taller and like 10 pounds heavier? What does that look like? And we got the flashes of it, whether it was the Rose Bowl or in some some blowouts where I think the Indiana game, he had a play where he was doing stuff with the ball after he caught it. I am. I said, if you're going to pick a guy, you got to really drive it. I am driving the bus with a brick on the gas pedal, no brakes, and we are going all the way to record-breaking where I think he breaks Ohio State's single-season record for touchdown catches in the season, and it's at 17. And it's the combination of what he just might be as an X receiver already, but then also go-line fade on a two-yard line. And you picked him to be a first-team All-American. I did. The Buckeye Grove thing, which is yeah. also a pretty good brick on the gas pedal. From the 7-4-0, I had to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. I remember a discussion you guys had about Chase Young being sort of the final iteration of the ideal Ohio State defensive end. This is kind of what I think this is what you're referencing, Stephen. Mm-hmm. And I am fully on board with MHJ being that for the receivers, right? It's sort of like all these guys, but even like maybe a little bigger, a little more physical with all mm-hmm. the same skills. Um, I can't help but buy in 110% when a sweaty topless Marvin looks like Mr. Olympia catching passes against air. And then someone else like sort of redid their vote after the freaks list came out after reading the freaks list from Feldman. I'd like to revise my bus driving. Um, And then he went through all the numbers that you did. Nathan top three, not surprised. Um, Steven, Steven is, is driving this bus pretty hard, but this, this is not unreasonable to think this guy's special. Yeah. It's, you have to, mark it down uh, in terms of like some big numbers because i think everyone assumes there's going to be a fairly high baseline of production here i mean you're the, you're the guy in this offense that um i wouldn't expect him to come off the field very much this year with the first string offense you know when they, if they decide to go two tight ends he's probably still on the field um and i've i've believed in that concept of him being a major like red zone weapon for a long time. Like it just, a lot of that just, just really fits. And there's, there's all the physical tools you're talking about. I think the pedigree thing is real a little bit. And it's not just that your genes or your name make you good, but the example and the advice and the tutelage that he gets from his dad has to help. Um, You talked before Doug, I think it was just on yesterday's pod about the margins and he seems to just have so many things in his favor that reduce those margins and 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 allow him to put closer to 100% of himself on the field at a pretty early age. He's already got he's got a professional approach which yep. I mean you learn that when you grow up around pros. And he's just such an outlier from the prototype of what Heartline recruits, you know, the 6-1-190 guy where you can kind of put everywhere he has a lot of that skill set. He's just bigger. So, yeah, this and is. We've seen it. You see what that approach does. Michael Thomas, his uncle's yeah. Keyshawn Johnson, Michael Thomas was a pro from the minute he got to Columbus. A seriousness of purpose um, that you just handle your business. And there's just no doubts about you handling your business. And if Marvin Harrison Jr. has that kind of seriousness of purpose, and then probably maybe even like, more, I'm not, I don't think it's probably has more physical gifts than someone like mm-hmm. Mike Thomas. And then you're really talking about something. It's interesting. I'll direct you to the college football survivor show this week that I did with Shahan J. Haraja. This week, we were ranking all the playoff contenders by their pass catchers, by their receivers and their tight ends. And so we were having a long conversation. 
about Ohio State and USC and Bama and some of the Michigan's receiver room, I think is much improved this year. Who has the best receiver group? And USC has Jerry Rice's kid and Ohio State has Marvin Harrison's kid. And it's like, man, talk about pedigree, you know, like you're going to head to head with this stuff. So um, if, if you want to continue, try to put some of these receivers in, an, in a national context, go find the College Football Survivor Show this week. That'd be a really cool all son of a Hall of Famer team. I think we've reached that point, especially in football, where could you put together a starting 22 of, of son of a Hall of, of only sons of yeah. Hall of Famers? And how good would that team be after sounds you put like it good, together? Sounds like a project. Sounds like an offseason project. Yeah. Two is JT. So, Stephen, you had said you had an offensive guy and a defensive guy. Who was your defensive guy? Is it him or is it somebody else? No, I, I he finished second because I didn't want to just – it, it would have felt lazy to just pick two 2021 guys who might just be awesome this year. My other guy, which I'm kind of shocked, and it doesn't seem like he's going to get any votes, is I think Ty Hamilton is on the Davon Hamilton plan, except he's achieving it a lot faster than his older brother did. And so I was driving the bus for the – he has the same impact his brother had in 2019, but okay. he does it in was this year three instead of year five. Cause and it, I was almost more validated in feeling that after I saw that starting defensive line last week. Okay. Uh, so the top three, then there were three guys, Josh Proctor and Jack Sawyer, both got 7% of the vote. Each got 7% of the vote. Marvin Harrison jr. Got 10% of the vote. JT Tumaloa got 11% of the vote. So that's a lot of support. I voted for JT from the 567. I think the Cam Hayward comparison is spot on. It's going to be a wrecking ball out there. There's a reason we all remember the visit at the airport with the Hawaiian shirts and the Lake Cloud coaching staff. And it's because this guy was the number four overall player in his 2021 class. He's going to look every bit a part of that ranking this year. He's going to set himself up to be a top five pick after next season as well. Get on the bus. One more from the 614, it's JT. The Bucs really need someone on the D-line to step up and perform at a Bosa young level. I think it's going to be JT. Nathan, good pick for number two? Yeah, I think it's a good pick because, yes, he has accolades. Yes, he's actually even already started games. But because of the way he came in, that wasn't a given. And I think when you're driving the bus for him, again, it's not like, well, I think he could like, you know, probably – be a starter or whatever. No, it's like you th- like Steven and I, I think both marked him down as an all American on some team this year. And that's really what the level is when you're driving a bus for him. You're saying that like an arrival happens this year. I think if you really wanted to drive the bus and really take it far, Ohio state hasn't had a player in the top 10 in the big 10 in sacks since chase and it had in 2019. And it hasn't had two players in the top 10 at the same time since 2018 with chase and Draymond. If you wanted to really drive the bus for the Jack JT show showing up, you could say that both of those guys are going to be top 10 in the Big Ten in sacks this year. I, I do think there's a sense, though, too. To me, if you're really going to drive the bus for JT, I think you're almost expecting sort of like a Joey Bosa-like impact on 2014. Mm-hmm. And I'm not comparing them directly as players, but it's like, what does that look like? Well, it's like as a sophomore, Joey Bosa was the linchpin in the national championship team, and they probably wouldn't have won it without him. He wrecked stuff. He was, he made amazing plays. He, he tackled guys, two guys at once. He threw linebacker, he threw running backs in the quarterbacks. He was fierce. He was a problem every snap. And he did it as a true sophomore. Like that 
to me, if you're going down the JT road, because we all think he's going to be good. And again, I think nationally, they're not quite on the board yet and they'll get there. But I think if you're going to be on the bus, like you've got to be in that range, maybe not quite that because that was an amazing season, but game wrecker for a national title contender as a sophomore. That, that to me is the threshold that we're talking about if we're going to have that JT bus driving yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I think you, it can't – Let's. so in context, last year there were some games where Tyreek Smith was like arguably the best player on the field, at least defensively for sure, but maybe even beyond that for like a couple of games, just the impact he was having. I think what we're saying about JT is spreading – taking that kind of Tyreek Smith impact and spreading it over 15 games – it's still something higher than that. Yeah, no, it's if, if Tyreek Smith is in the conversation as part of the comparison, I don't think it was quite bus level. You need to be the reason why Ohio state wins a game or two, like literally reason number one, the way Joey Bosa was in that 2014 season, the way Chase Young was the way Nick Bosa, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Nick as a sophomore is really good too. Yeah. Sophomore is really good too. All right. That leaves us. We all know who the number one guy is. Who's number one. Who's the guy left that we have not talked about yet? 14% of the vote. JT was 11%. This guy got 14% of the vote on a list that had 34 names on it. That's not easy to do. A lot of people are into this guy. And it's Julian Fleming. This is people believing in the nagging injuries go away. Third year guy, former number one receiver in the country from the 937. I'm torn between Court Williams and Julian Fleming. I picked Fleming as I did last year because I think he has a more immediate route to the field and can o- I can only see court getting out there uh, for meaningful times if others are struggling. So that that's part of it too. Like if you picked Julian Fleming last year, like that, that wasn't a great pick. Now, again, there are injury things here, but it didn't pop last year. It might pop this year from the 4-4-0. I voted for Fleming. What if he pops this year? Could he be an All-American? I think he can. And I think he will benefit from the already established number one threat in JSN. We've already seen how dangerous multiple receivers in one year can be. Uh, another one for Julian from the 314. For me, it's Julian Fleming. Seems like everyone has put Harrison Jr. and Agbuka over him in the wide receiver pecking order. But they forget that some recruiting publications considered him to be one of the better receiver prospects in high schools in years, to come out of high school in years. He's been blocked by both injuries and great receivers ahead of him. I think all four of the top receivers will be really good this season, but I'm rolling with Julian to take off more uh, to take off in a way that most people don't think from the five, six, seven part of driving the bus for a guy is sticking up for him with the healthy year. Fleming will prove the people wanting to move on from him wrong. Marshawn Lattimore award winner, Nathan, which is something we talk about a lot. That third year guy who pops and leaves. This is Joseph in Atlanta. Our guy, Julian Fleming is on the Lattimore track. Everybody on the team raves about how good he is behind the scenes, but we've never seen him healthy. Now he finally gets healthy and we'll see him break out on his way to the NFL. Nathan, is this the right guy to be number one on the list when you consider all the things that go into it? I think so. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. And the, the one of the first textures points it out. Like I know that we've talked about wanting to see him flash more in the opportunities he did get. But at the end of the day, no one has that we've talked to around the program has really been saying, well, he's just really not getting it. Well, he just is always a little bit behind. Well, we may have been wrong. It's always like, no, like it's here. He just hasn't had a chance to show it either because he's hurt or because 
being here for him has not meant being ahead of Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Wilson. So like, what do you want to say? Like if, if Julian Fleming has an all American season this year, it would surprise nobody around the Ohio state's program. I think just because it, that was what they, he was brought here to do. And it's been some circumstances beyond his control that have kept him from doing much these first two years. Steven, the difficult thing here is, can the bus drivers for Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka, and Julian Fleming all be happy at the end of the year and feel like they had a good bus trip, like a good field trip? You go, you pack your lunch in a brown bag. It was always like, well, when you pack your lunch and you take it to school, you have to get the milk at school. But then when you go on the field trip, you can take a can of soda. Like or- what's better than orange soda in a brown bag on a field trip? In third grade, we went on a field trip to a horse farm and I bought a little leather bracelet for a girl and she was like, what is this? So that, <laughs> so like that. Like was that, that your first heartbreak? Oh yeah, first of many. Mm. <laughs> like that, right? Not the heartbreak part, but is that, will that be it? Will someone have Doug LaMaurie's heartbreak? Third, little Dougie, third grade Dougie, little Dougie. Oh, can they all be happy or is it impossible, Stephen? Is it impossible for because if JSN is going to be JSN, we all assume that. Can the other three all have successful bus rides, or is it just not enough footballs? Not in this exercise, where the whole point of it is like, who is going to be more awesome than we already think they're going to be? No, I think two of the three can because Ohio State basically had three thousand yard receivers last year. If you know, if they actually don't lose to Michigan, so. That can happen again this year based off what the recruiting rankings and the talent is in that room and the way Harlan's developing guys. It's not a crazy thing to think that Ohio State could have 3,000-yard receivers, even if JSN does what he does. But someone's going to – if that's how it, lo- how it looks, then someone's just going to have to wait another year. Because I do think if people drove the bus – for Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson last year, I'm not sure that they had a successful bus ride. They weren't bad, but I don't think Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave necessarily exceeded expectations. Jackson Smith and Jigba took all the exceeding Mm -hmm. expectations juice. So the expectations are lower this year. Only JSN has the same level of expectations that Garrett and Chris did last year. So it changes the conversation. As Steven said, this is a very specific conversation. It's a it's a exceeding expectations conversation. It's not being good. It's not helping the team. There are some guys that's like, well, of course, but it's more than that, Mason. So I just I, I I don't think all the buses can get home safely in this receiver room in this style of conversation. Well, but all these buses aren't necessarily going to the same destination. Like all these field trips are not necessarily created equal. Like, you know, the Marvin Harrison Jr. voters, I think that's like a that's like a field trip to Cedar point. Right. And then like the Julian Fleming voters. I think that's a field trip to Cedar point too. It's just maybe. Yeah. But maybe, maybe they find out Cedar point is closed and they have to settle for going to like the soda factory or something like that and see how pop is made. You get some free samples, something like that. And then you make a Buka one is maybe they're shooting lower too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't, I think you can have successful field trips because I don't know that all that when you're, when you're, when you start driving those buses, I don't know if you're envisioning the same destination. I don't think that can be the case. When I, I get what you're saying, but with this discussion with these three wide receivers, 
I don't think that can be the case when the reason people are the reason Julian Fleming is number one is because everybody thinks he's on the Mar- Marshawn Lattimore plan. And the reason why Emeka Buka is so high is because people think he's the number one receiver in year two who might just go off. And the reason why Marvin Harrison Jr. is so high on this list is because he's in his second year as a top 100 guy who's got all that pedigree and he might go off. I think in this situation with these guys, it is the same de- um, destination. They're all trying to get to Cedar Point and only two buses are going to make it. One time, my my daughter's class was going to a landfill for a field trip, and, and she missed it. She missed it because we were in Disney World, and she was like, "Ah, I can't believe you made me miss the landfill field trip." We said, "You missed Garbage Mountain. We were on Space Mountain." She's like, "Ah, my parents are the worst." If Marvin Harrison Jr. has eight hundred receiving yards this year, does the bus get home? Steven, yep. you're driving that bus. Eight hundred receiving home. yards. Oh, oh, no, 800. I, I thought you said 1,800. 800? No. no. 800. I, I don't think no. it is. If Julian Fleming or Mecca Buka each have 500 receiving yards, does the bus get home? That's not getting home. That, that's, that's just, okay, you had a really quality season. Yeah, oh. that's, that's not being bad players. I don't think that gets home. I don't think anyone who put Julian Fleming or Mecca Buka on their list was like, oh, yeah. 31 catches for 500 yards. Boom. There's a point out. to this exercise that's irrational confidence in somebody and 800, 600, 700 yards is not irrational confidence. That's a I mean, why receive Chris Olave had 900 receiving yards last year. Was that, I mean, that's, that's decent, but it's not an elite year. So that's, that's the thing I think we're, I mean, and again, we're getting into semantics. I mean, again, those, those would be helpful. If you told Brian Hartline, Hey, Marvin, you know, JSN has 1600 and Marvin has 850 and the other two have 500. He'd probably be like, awesome. Let's do this, whatever. But we'd be like, but what about the bus? And Brian Hartline would be like, can I throw you under a bus right now? Get away from me. So a lot of it is semantic, but in the end, Julian Fleming, clearly number one. Fleming one, JT two, MHJ three, Proctor four, Sawyer five, G Scott six, and Mecca Buka seven, Steel Chambers eight, Mayan Williams uh, nine, and Tyleek Williams 10. And then Zach Harrison, Tommy Eichenberg, and Cam Martinez all tied there. I got to go eat. We got to get out of here. We're trying to be a little bit more under control. I'm also trying, I don't know if you guys noticed, I hope you did. It's a pain in my butt, but it's worth it. I'm trying to put timestamps on discussion stuff. So if you're trying to figure out, I only want to listen to this part of that part. I'm trying to give you sort of timestamps of like general discussion topics. So you can find the stuff that you really want. That was one of the things that people brought up on the make buck. I talk better thing. So we're trying to listen. So for now, that's the bus. We hope you enjoyed the ride. We'll be very curious to see who gets to the field trip, who gets to not garbage mountain, but Cedar point for Steven means. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>